Welcome to The Thought Hackers, the show where you will learn how your mind works and discover how to change your thinking from leading experts and through inspiring stories. Good day, everyone. My name is Nathan Siegel. I'm here with my colleague Hamish Baston out of Australia, and we are The Thought Hackers. With us today is Virginia Phillips. Virginia Phillips is an author of Yes, You Can, the owner of the Academy of Entrepreneurial Excellence, a part owner of Mulder Rubber and Plastics Corporation, a speaker, an entrepreneurial coach, a podcaster, and a survivor. She is the VIP Woman of the Year Circle of Excellence Award for the second time, the Best of Colorado Springs nominee for the second time, and the recipient of the Women Who Soar Award. She also earned a master's degree as well as many professional certifications. Her leadership and coaching expertise guides individuals to develop skills, build confidence, and create opportunities for success. Virginia, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Thank you very much. I am so thrilled to be here. Well, it's nice to have you. Yeah. So can you tell us a bit about your journey? Looking at the information you've sent us, it's been quite a journey and one that is obviously very much ongoing. Yes, my my journey to recovery will be lifelong, like many of yours and your listeners' journeys to achieving the life they want. You don't you don't get it in one day, and mine is certainly not that. If if I take you back, and I don't remember if I gave you some of this information, but my story really goes back to 2009. For whatever reason, in 2009, my health fell off a cliff. I One of the, the bottom points of my, my health journey is when I went to the ER and they kept me there for hours, like eight, nine hours. And they finally released me saying, we have no idea what's wrong with you, but if you stop breathing, we would love for you to come back. Well, thank you for that vote of confidence. <laughs> if you I stop breathing. Stop breathing, yes. And that right. particular ER was an hour and a half from my house. And there really wasn't many hospitals between my house and that one. Not really what you want to hear from those folks that are supposed to help you. Uh, it was the first real time in my life I decided I needed to truly advocate for myself. My husband and I got up really early that next morning, and he wheeled me down that same hospital into the neurologist office. I didn't have an appointment, didn't know the neurologist, didn't anything. And I said, I'm going to sit in this room until there is a doctor that helps me. And wow. uh, at at lunchtime, which was, I don't know, two hours later, a doctor came out and she very nicely said kind of what's going on. She looked at my records from last night and she said, they never should have released you. They should have brought you in the hospital for us to do some testing. So let's make that happen. I went on a year and a half journey from 2009 for them to figure out what was going on with me and they couldn't. But at one point, I had lost some true basic functions. I couldn't think from A to B. I couldn't eat on my own. Walking was a chore. And I just saw my life slipping away. It was so hard. 
And then for whatever reason, my health began to turn around. The doctors still didn't know why. And by the summer of 2012, I thought I was in the best shape of my life because I decided I'm never going to wind up in that ER again. I am going to give myself every opportunity I have to get out of there alive. So I'm going to eat right. I'm going to exercise right. I'm going to sleep right. I'm going to put self-care first. And that all changed for me on a summer day in 2012, which was about two years after I first fell off that cliff, when I was involved in a what looked like a T-bone car accident. They classified it as a head-on collision. I was a passenger that day. My sister was in town with her family and her kids, and we were headed to the baseball game. And my neighbor, who was texting while driving, clearly didn't do that very well. And they guesstimate that impact was between 80 and 90 miles an hour. And I, I took the brunt of that accident. So there I was in the car that came to a stop thinking, you got through life once, you will get through whatever is ahead of you a second time. But it took some guts to get out of that Mm. car and it took some guts to face what I would have to face for rehab for the months and years later. I can't even imagine. I've been reading what what happened to you. Were you actually able to get out of the car based on what you were saying? No, somebody must have had to cut you out of the car or get you out of the car somehow. My sister was driving. They had to cut her out of the car. I was able to crawl out of the other side of the vehicle. There was no leaving our side of the vehicle. I was the passenger behind my sister um, so that the whole car came in on my door and a bit on hers and made it too difficult for us to escape on our side of the vehicle. Wow. So when you finally did get out, when you finally, or more to the point, when you were taken to the hospital, what happened after that? So I was one of those folks that somebody should have come up to and said, are you okay? That never happened to me that day. I was the only passenger or only person in the accident that lost consciousness. Clearly, my brain was not functioning well. I was totally in shock. And not one person asked me if I was okay. Not one person at the accident scene asked me if I was okay. In fact, what? Ah, because they would have sent me in my own ambulance to the ER to get checked. And instead, they promoted me to caregiver for my sister. Oh, you're kidding. No, I was the most wounded in that vehicle and I was told you're in charge. So I lived up as best as I could to that every moment thinking, I hurt. My leg hurts. My wrist hurts. Like I'm not functioning well. I should never have been promoted to that position. Somebody that was in charge of that scene should have never left it up to me to make those decisions. That's why Mm. they have protocol with that scene and it was not followed. So it wasn't until about 36 hours later that finally my husband said to me, he says, you are just not looking okay. Are you okay? And I'm like, I don't 
I don't think so. I don't think so. And it, it was at that time that I saw the doctor and the doctor's like, you need to go to the ER. So I didn't go to the ER until about 40 hours after the accident. Wow. <clears throat> so is that a result of, because the physical, there wasn't the, the, they couldn't see the physical injuries that. Yes. Yeah. It was all so, internal. It was yeah. goodness gracious. Yeah, so the only part, there are only two parts of me that you saw visible bru bruises on, on the back of my right hand, and it was this tiny, like, quarter-sized bruise mm. on the back of my hand that we believe it was when my hand smacked my nephew on the forehead, because he had about the same size bruise on his forehead. Um, and then I had a bruise on my thigh, but you can't see that if i am got clothes on. And mm. I also had a small bruise on my face. So I had two small visible bruises. But other than that, you couldn't physically see anything wrong with me. Wow. This is astounding. This is, uh, Nathan, this is another one of these w interviews we're having where I am just gobsmacked. Um, <laughs> you and me both. I'm just sitting here and going, <laughs> I, I can... Yeah, me too. I mean, just especially after the, the conversation with, uh, that we had at the beginning and reading the information that you've sent to us, uh, which I'm not going to read out just yet because I, I know you're going to go into the story a bit bit yeah. further and a bit deeper. But I mean, from what we discussed earlier and what I've read, I was expecting you to be extracted out of that car as a physical mess. But nothing, they could. there was no... <laughs> No, oh, it's astounding. I, I'm, I'm, yeah. Right. So, so as you know, when you have a traumatic brain injury, you, you can't physically see that the brain is jostled, but you, you can't see that you should be mm. able to see that by looking at somebody's pupils, by listening to them slur their words, by listening to them not be able to complete sentences, but you can't see it. Mm. Um, th there was Really, besides my slow ganter, my bit of a limp, there was nothing you could see. You know, if you looked at me close enough, you could see I wasn't using my left hand. My left hand was limp. I couldn't physically utilize it. So there were external signs. But if if you just saw me walking down the hall, I don't I don't think there's an iota of anything that would have signaled to you like she needs help. Mm. Well, the, the thing that just blows my socks off sitting here listening to you, it's like, why the hell didn't somebody come over to check you? I mean, I'm just astonished. You went through one of the worst car accidents that I've heard about. Um, I'm amazed that you even lived through it, even getting to the point of uh, even where you are now. And after what we were talking about earlier uh, with that other accident, you know, that my mother suffered, she shouldn't have lived through it either. I'm amazed right? that you survived it, and and same with you. I'm just listening to you and going, I can't believe that nobody would come over to check you. I mean, it's astonishing. <laughs> it is, isn't it? Because so, you'd think the protocol of the ambulance, the paramedics would be, is. you've been hit by a, 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 that impact. In it's something's it got is. to have happened to you. It is. It is the protocol wow. for somebody take to take charge of that scene. And for no victims in the accident to leave that scene without getting checked. And that didn't happen. And I think there were a couple of reasons why. One is there were nine of us that were injured, three children. And the, the children do something in terms of the psyche for the first responders. 
The other thing is all of those first responders were having some level of PTSD, my belief, that day. Now, I'm not a doctor. I can't diagnose that. But they lost a motorcyclist, a cop, on his motorcycle, on active duty, on that very corner a week prior. Oh, my God. Yeah, that that makes perfect sense. Uh, Hamish, what are your thoughts on this? <laughs> just oh, I, I I was actually just thinking one question, which yeah. I just wanted to I just wanted to ask when, uh, and you were talking about the 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 damage to the brain, which isn't isn't visible. When yeah. when you when that accident happened, did you actually see the car approaching you, or did it just hit and you had no idea it was there? No, I totally saw the car up like I remember the car like six inches from the door. Right. So absolutely. So in your experience, and certainly as a as a life coach and the, the, the work that you do, you you're very well aware of that fight, flight, or freeze. And mm-hmm. you know, that six inches away from you as soon as you saw that, what was the thought that instantly hit your mind before the impact? Do you remember that? My thought was, we're going to be okay. Wow. That uh, was my thought. Really? We're That's astonishing. Okay. I, I think my brain w- was trying to indicate to me he's not going to hit us. Just mm. that level of denial that this is actually going to happen. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You've, and you've you've mentioned to us already, and we'll, we'll talk about it shortly. Your uh, the PTSD that did arise from this incident. Yeah. Um, but do you think even that level, that thinking, that thought of we're going to be okay is quite a um, a relaxed look at it, I suppose, for want of a better word. That well, you know, there's there's something else that I find really astonishing about you even able to re- being able to remember it is to that, remember it. Yeah, because I, I've encountered many stories of people who have had serious accidents, different things, uh, different traumas, and they cannot remember any of the detail of what mm. happened before or a good stretch after. All of that memory is just absolutely gone. So for you to remember it is absolutely astonishing. Yeah, I remember vividly, like it happened this morning, vividly, everything up until the, like that six inches prior and then everything after I woke, there's about a two and a half minute time frame that we guesstimate. I don't remember anything. And that's why they think I was knocked out. Yep. Yep. So after that 48 hours and everything going on, that's, and I'm just going to lead you into what you've written here, where you said you had 1,278 days of intense rehabilitation. So the injuries coming that were then... Dying, what what tell, take us through that process of where you were where no one was helping you to now all of a sudden you're in, ten, in intensive rehabilitation yeah so i went to my primary care physician it was my first stop and he said you need to go to the er so i go to the er and they created this list of things that needed to be helped with me there some of their first concerns were the injuries to my lower back the injuries to my lung and they thought to my heart, the injuries to my left hip and my left thigh, 
were the the top on the list. Notice I didn't even mention my left hand. That is my predominant hand that's not functioning. Didn't make the top five. What about your brain injury? Nothing about that? That didn't get diagnosed for about 10 months. What? You must be kidding me. No, it was because there was so much else they were more concerned about the brain did not get scanned and did not get diagnosed for months. Oh my god, months. I can hardly believe this story. It's one of the worst I've ever heard. But I did um I don't know, it was about a year when was that occurred? A year post the accident. I was involved in another um, road rage incident very close to that accident scene and that's when I started getting mental health was after that right mm. so that was like the the catalyst if you will yeah yeah that for me that was my first what I thought was my first true PTSD experience was when um, a gentleman on purpose ran the back of my car because he did not like the way I was driving um, and it, it threw me into a full PTSD mode and I immediately reached out to my friend who's a psychotherapist and I said, I, I need to speak to somebody today about PTSD. So I, I, I almost self-diagnosed myself because I knew my response to that was not okay. That's amazing that you would have that, to have that kind of awareness about your life and your own condition. That puts you head and shoulders above pretty well most people we've talked to, and that that would include myself because um, with my own situation, I, I called it trauma of bullying. I did not know that what I was suffering from was called PTSD. No idea, none whatsoever, until it was over. Actually, um, <laughs> it's true. Ask Hamish, but that's that's not the point. But it's just I, I'm amazed that you had that level of awareness that puts you in an entirely different category of, well, awareness itself and understanding. So well, I, I think there's a, a few reasons for that. One is my father struggled with depression his entire life. So mental health was something that we are cognizantly aware of in our house because we mm -hmm. didn't want my father ever to commit suicide and he never did. The second thing is my mother was a psychotherapist and not only did she bring in that education to our house, but I worked with her for a long time. So I got uh, a view of what mentally healthy looked like and what mental illness looked like. And I knew when I crossed that, that, that bridge as you may. And I had been poked and prodded by all kinds of doctors for years and they would always ask me how my mental health is. And so I, I was groomed to know what those signs were. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I'm just sitting here. It's like, this is reminiscent of when we interviewed Adil, isn't it, Hamish? Yes, yes. It's yeah. very much it's same same feelings coming through. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah. Tell, Virginia, tell us about the... Um, if we could talk about so much, for more for our listeners, the yeah, the experience of the PTSD and your, I'm amazed you didn't get something like that from the first one, but you had a very different reaction when that six inches away. Your thinking, I think, might have really helped mm -hmm. you with that. Where 
it was a very <laughs> we're going to be okay. So you didn't get into that state of what was what so what what went through that one where you, where you're connecting with the PTSD with that second accident. So uh, just so your listeners know, I now know I was suffering from PTSD from the minute that accident ended. I would jump in, like literally, I would pass a tree driving and I would jump in the car. Like the tree's not moving and it's not going to attack me, but that's not a normal Mm. response. Some of that was probably due to the TBI, but I believe most of those kind of responses in the car especially in the car, was PTSD. And I was not seeing those signs. But after that second accident, like I was pacing the house. I couldn't sleep. Um, I was shaking. Like there were things that I knew it was my mental health that was causing my physical reactions. That, Mm. as you say, that that gut response to, I I need to get out of here. Like I'm in my own home and I want to leave. That's not an okay feeling. Um, That is something that you need to get addressed and you need help addressing that. And and I made that call that day to say, I know I'm in a place that I've not had this reaction before and pacing in my own house is not how I want to live. Mm. No, it's true. I mean, the PTSD, when it it gets ramped up, I mean, shaking, no doubt. And as you said, being unable to calm down, your mind is racing, all these different things. So believe me, I I, I can appreciate everything you're saying. So so understanding what was happening and what your awareness of um, the, the, uh, what you're experiencing and um, how did you then move forward from that if you knew what was what you felt was going on and like i said quite aware of it what helped you to then move i mean you've been were you a life coach before this all happened no i became a life coach after the the normally normally the story of people yes (laughs) (laughs) the accident left me too disabled to go back to my normal my career i wouldn't say it's a normal career but my Mm. uh the career I'd been building for almost 20 years. I, I, I can't go back to that. Mm. What, so what, what am was I going to What was it if was, you don't? Sure. I was a human resources professional. Mm-hmm. Ah, okay. Okay. And and that requires for you to sit and, and do some administrative work, and, and none of those things were on my capabilities anymore. So I, I – you know, one of the things I had to do was learn who I was within my new body. Mm. There, there was so much that I hated my body for at this point that I wanted to disconnect my 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 brain from from the rest of my body, and that's that's not an appropriate no way to live. I mean, no. it's an appropriate response, but it's it's. It's a victim role and not a survivor role. Mm. And I was. Can I just, can I just ask yeah, one? Did, did Virginia, yeah. did we, did we actually explain the body that you are talking about that you're living in at the with that? <laughs> no, we kind of got distracted. So let me. <laughs> <laughs> so Peter, our, listeners, the, our audience need to hear what your what what your body is now at at that point. Yes. Yeah, that's right. So we we there's so much in what you have to say that it's, uh, it's. Yeah, 
that's, that's so, it. so much. One, one of the things that I had to learn is the accident left me after the 1,000, however many days it was, 78 days or 83 days or whatever it was. And I was in intense rehab, like five, four or five days a week, four or five sessions, because each particular session, they would work on a different part of my body. So I would go in and get my lower back worked on. I would go in and get my knee worked on. I would go in and get my foot worked on and my hip worked on and my left arm and my left shoulder. Like it just was one session after another And what I hope your audience is hearing through this is there was very little of my body that wasn't affected by the accident. So if we go from foot to head, both of my feet have some paralysis in it. I have paralysis on the left leg from the mid thigh on down. I have um, significant damage still within that femur. My hip has been operated on. I've got some lifelong injuries then within that left hip. My, my organs all were phenomenal. Like somehow none of my organs really got injured. And I think that's what saved my life. Uh, and that's because his vehicle was so big it pushed the upper part of the door in and gave slack on the seat belts, something that right. saved my life. Um, it tore apart my rib cage, so I have damage that I'm still getting treated on with ribs that, because of the muscles that were torn in them, don't stay in the location they're supposed to. I have internal damage to my lungs. I have permanent damage to my left hand and wrist that they thought about um, amputating for a while. Like the list goes on. I've got a TBI and, and PTSD, a lower back injury, a neck injury. Like I could just go on and on and on with what was injured, uh, probably similar to what your mother experienced in her accident. So I had to learn to be okay with this body I didn't ask for. Mm. All of the things that my husband and I wanted to do in the city we just moved in was to go explore mountains and go hiking and see outside. And all I'm doing is spending my time in doctor's offices, one doctor after another after another. That was my life. And it was brutal. This was intense pain. This was not easy. And I have to figure out how to deal with that pain but also deal with the fact that this is something that's going to happen for a long time to come um on one of your pre-interview questions you ask kind of what was that lowest point for you and i thought about that and i know my lowest point was about 18 months 18 months after the accident and my hip surgeon said and that was the, the part of my body that was so painful. I would spend some time in the garage trying to figure out how to amputate my leg. It's probably not mentally either. Um, but I couldn't figure out how to do that and live. So I, would, I never attempted, but I did think about it a while. And when he told me at the 18-month mark that I would have 18 or 24 months of rehab, I thought I can't do this. This is it for me. I can't, like, I can't do one more day. I can't. That was my lowest point that I had pushed to get to the 18-month point. And it's like he pulled the rug out from under me. 
So all of this was to get to the point of uh, what? How does PTSD fit into this? Mm. How am I? How am I dealing with that? Right. So as you can see, there was so much else going on with me that my mental health was almost last on the list. And I think people thought I was mentally okay because I showed up with a vigor to get through my sessions with them. So I showed up and I was spot on for them, but I would leave and I would be a mess, would mentally be a mess. So with the the PTSD, it really became apparent to me I was struggling with this a year post the accident. And you could see like the other parts of my health kind of fall off a cliff at that point. It was getting more migraines. I was physically sleeping more. Like you could tell the mental health part was now adjusting its piece to my physical health. And that was the time I decided you must get some professional help. You must go out there and get that professional help. And when I did that, I was very vocal and continue to be very vocal with folks that I'm getting mental health. It's not talked about enough mm. and it is okay to get professional help for your mental health. Yep. Yeah. No question. Oh. I, uh, yeah. God, Hamish, I, it's just, <laughs> I, we're just sitting, I'm, I'm just absolutely there's so many things about what you're talking about and it's like the injuries the recovery and the incredible level of awareness I mean I don't think we've ever had a conversation with any guest like you I mean I'm just sitting here and going wow and (laughs) so you know you said you hit that lowest point Mm -hmm. what got you through it how did you get through it my mother, that psychotherapist, was my first call. I, I was got expecting off the... that. I was expecting her to come in at some stage. That's lovely. My mother, I get off the phone with this doctor, and I am like a total mess. I'm curled up in the corner, like tears are streaming down my face. I can hardly form words because I'm crying so hard. And she just stood in my corner. She says, there is no way you've been through what you've been through the last few years and not be able to get through this. You will get through this. And there will be people like me that help you get through this. You are not doing this on your own. And that was that was the piece that I think for the first time kind of signaled to me, I thought I had been on my own fight. It was me against my body and me against this PTSD and me against the world because recovering from those types of injuries can be extremely lonely. Nobody's coming to your house to visit. You're not going out with friends. It's it's you and the doctor and it's you and the nurse and it's you and the PT. And that was the first time I really realized I'm not alone. Yep. Awesome. So how did you help? What happened then? So then I picked myself up by my bootstraps and said, okay, what do I need to do to get through tomorrow? And it got to be continue to focus on what is happening tomorrow. 
the mm. big part in my journey that was phenomenal for me was about a year later when they still denied me surgery on my hip. And my quality of life was terrible. Like I wasn't sleeping because my pain was so high. I wasn't eating right because I had to feed myself during the day and my pain levels were so high I didn't want to eat. You know, just moving around the house was difficult. Um, and the surgeon said, we won't operate on you. And I stood my ground again, advocating for myself. That's not an acceptable answer. Nobody should have to live like this. I want to see another doctor. Now, he would have been the second hip surgeon I saw. And he did refer me to another hip surgeon. And he said, you're right, your quality of life should be able to put you on the table. But here is why we don't want to put you on the table. Do you want to have surgery? And I said, yes. It was the best decision I ever made. Risks and all. How, how is it the best decision? How? Yes. Um, well, first of all, my hip feels a whole lot better. So I'm, I'm mobile and I can do normal things like stand and sit and, and go to the restroom. I struggled to do that for two and a half years post the accident. I get that back. One of the things I remember vividly is the day after surgery, I walked from the couch to our deck, which is, I don't know, six feet. And I stood out on the back deck. It's the first time I'd done that in two and a half years. Yes. Yes. I, I, for what it's worth, I know what you're talking about to do with injury where you're actually able to do something that you were able to do before that you couldn't for a long time. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about from that perspective. You just feel like you've been liberated. You feel like you've been reborn. Uh, would that be Would that be correct? Absolutely. I stood on that Wonderful. deck. I did nothing but lean up because it was still surgery. It was still hurting, but I leaned up against that railing. And we have this beautiful backyard where we've got this long... Um, seen uh, out to the mountains I mean there's city between us and there but it's a it's an incredible view and it really felt like today is my freedom day today is it awesome so that's when you really started to turn the corner on this is yeah. that correct a absolutely but I I still mentally had to change my thoughts from I can't to I can. I lived for two and a half years coming home from PT and doctor's offices with lists of stuff they said, don't do, you can't do, you shouldn't do. If you do this, do it limitedly based. They kind of gave me a list of things that I would focus on all day long of what I can't do. And that day allowed me to flip that coin and say today, I can do. And it changed my thinking to, okay, what else can I do today? What else can I put on the list of things I can do? And that was a huge change for me. Yeah, that's the, the, it's recognizing that, that change. It's, what, what the, the, one of the big things we hear a lot from a lot of our guests and I think it's a real, uh, such value to, to people living in this space is that choice. Mm -hmm. um, and you've mentioned the change and 
yeah, actually getting to that place where a decision was made. Mm-hmm. What what was that point? That choice, that decision of now, I, I I want to change. Did that come after making a choice, or did you? Was the decision just that you wanted to change, and then you were able to do things to move forward? I think it took reinforcement. I think that day I began to put IKEA in on the list, but I was still so hesitant to go after those IKEAs. Mm. Yeah, yeah, following me. And yes. I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm wondering I went, what the hesitation was. Uh, the hesitation was I was fearful of injuring myself. I had this protective guard against the I can because I was told for two and a half years, if you do that, it will hurt you. So I say I can, but I still don't want to because I'm fearful it will turn out poorly for me. I had a hard time getting to that place. And so it took some reinforcement. It took my friend to say, please write a book. And I'm like, nobody wants to hear my story. Are you kidding me? All I do is go to doctor's offices. She said, you don't understand. We don't know how you get up every day. We don't know how you're in this coffee house today. We don't think we're capable of doing that. And we need to hear your story. That was another reinforcement of I can. And then that wonderful psychotherapist of mine, just he just kept at me to say, can you do this today? Can you do that today? Embrace the I can. And Mm. over time, I've really changed that thinking to absolutely, what else do you got for me? And, And I'll find a way to get that done. Awesome. That's awesome. That I mean, the change in your language just then when you said that—it's such a powerful <laughs> phrase for you. It's and it's so easy; it comes out so naturally. And that's what our show is all about. That's why mm. we're doing this, because mm. of because of stories like this, because of people like you, you know, who have been through hell and back, and who are still doing things still making changes, doing more than surviving. Yeah. Yeah. The other piece, I don't know that you all heard in in my story. I don't know if I provided you this information prior to the show. But I was steadfast. Once I got out of that car and I looked at those mountains we came to hike, that I was going to find a way to hike them. And all, all along the way, I felt like you're, you're adding roadblocks and this isn't fair. It's not fair that you're adding roadblocks. But four years after the accident, when I still really couldn't feel my left leg and couldn't use poles really to get me up this rocky mountain, I hiked that mountain basically on one leg. And that has done some phenomenal things for me to say, I don't care what you throw at me, I can find a way. An amazing story. It's, oh. <laughs> yeah, I I know Hamish. I mean, I'm sitting here too, and it, a lot of the time, just sitting here 
quite honestly really don't know what to say it's <laughs> it's a, it's a, it, it was a really a very different uh experience being here listening to you it's it's yes that your book you yes. wrote a book i did tell us about the book yes you can Yes, well, it initially was titled Triumph After Trauma, mm -hmm. and I learned that nobody really likes to talk about trauma or read about trauma, but they do want to believe they can do things. So I changed the title to Yes, You Can, and that is much more my story than Triumphing After Trauma, but this book is not about my story. This book takes things that we deal with every single day uh, that can be really tough lessons or not so tough lessons like I talk about in one of them the day I was in traffic we're all in traffic <laughs> like it's it's yeah. not an, an overarching amazing story but I pulled these stories out of my life that other people can relate to and then brought in lessons that we should be learning and applying to our life there is a ton of of psychology and psychological theories that are in here, but you're not gonna see any one of them named. <laughs> it's a really easy read. And what I want people to do is get that information extrapolated from the psychology and be able to read it and take those nuggets and apply it to their life. Yep. So, Wonderful. so <laughs> for people to get that information about you, about yeah. your book, where would they yeah. find it? The easiest way, I think, to get it at this point is to go to my website, and that is aoeenow.com, short for the Academy of Entrepreneurial Excellence, because that's way too long of a website, aoeenow.com. Uh, and there are links to the book, uh, links to me. I, I want folks to interact with me. I want to be an inspiration and resource for those that need it. They can also find it on Amazon and some of those other places. But I think the, the easiest place is, is my website. Yep. And because of the interaction that you mentioned. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. it's It's been truly amazing to have you on our show today. I, uh, Hamish mentioned earlier that he was absolutely gobsmacked, and that makes two of us. Um, and and but then again, you know, listening to you has been really quite the journey. Just being here and sorry. Yeah, one 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 thing that you do normally ask a guest, Nathan, that you haven't is, you know, what's the one thing or one number one thing advice you'd you'd give to our listeners? And I'm, I, I, it's just this. You, Thank you, you Hamish. You, you can. You. Yeah, when it's there, it's you've said it. it it's yeah. It's yeah sometimes two, two very simple words that can make a huge difference when you truly yeah. believe them. Sometimes yeah. what what happens, like what you just did, Hamish, is uh, to highlight this kind of thing because yes, you're correct. I, I missed that. Yeah, the so. the best piece of advice I got was to stop defining my life by my disabilities mm. and turning the I can'ts into I can. There is a way to do everything. You might physically or mentally not be able to do it, but your resources can. And as long as they're resources, they're a part of your can. 
Mm. Yeah, and you bring up a very important point that nobody is actually really poor necessarily. They're poor on resources. And mm. th and this is something that's come up for me repeatedly over the years. And and I've heard that, it, that you don't the problem is not as severe as you think it is what what you're lacking is resources and of course then yeah. the the immediate question is great how do I become more resourceful if I don't know how and that's a, that is the, that's probably the main thing too it's not we we do have the resources within us and we know it's are we resourceful are we in a resourceful state to be able to recognize and have that awareness it's being resourceful to use those resources or discover more when we're not resourceful exactly yeah <laughs> it's lovely it's and everyone listening you you can what whatever level it's you know it might be there's something that you can do mm-hmm mm -hmm. and my advice whether it's to my clients or or somebody else struggling it starts with asking. As you all started this this podcast with me, you said, why didn't somebody ask you? They should have asked you. But the problem was, is they didn't see that gigantic I need help sign on my forehead. I wasn't bleeding. <laughs> but I will tell you, there were times I asked grocery store clerks to do amazing things for me. And always their response was, absolutely what can i do to help mm. yeah love that love that yep. thank you so much for being on our show it was a real pleasure to have you we've learned a lot i'm sure our listeners will be probably feeling as stunned as we are or have been <laughs> for the bulk of this show and understandable but you had quite a story to tell and and it it's obviously ongoing and I just really appreciate everything that you've had to share with us and beyond us to our listeners when this show goes live. And I will put on to, um, I, I have no doubt that you would be happy if people, our listeners did connect with you and maybe, you know, just to create that awareness of how they can as well. I, you've given us our social, your social media links. Are you okay with me to pop them onto the, um, onto the website with the, with the podcast? Absolutely. Part of what I know is I survived for a reason, and and I believe that reason is to be a resource for other people. I want to be that resource. Please share away. Lovely. We will do. We'll, we'll make all those links available for them, your website, your social media links, your book. So thank you very thank you very much, Virginia. It's been fantastic, and I'd love to have you back again sometime soon. It's, uh, <laughs> I'm... I'm thrilled for this opportunity as i said i um mental health is something that is so important to me and i would be yeah. happy to come back at any point in time if you'd have me love to thank you thank you very much so for everybody who's been listening my name is nathan siegel i'm here with my colleague hamish baston out of australia we are the thought hackers with us today has been virginia phillips and wonderful to have you and look forward to having you again on the show soon Thanks for listening to this episode of The Thought Hackers. And regardless of where you are on your journey, whether you would like to be a guest and share your story, 
or if you are still living with pain each day, please get in touch and we will help you where we can. Simply send an email to hamish at thethoughthackers.com. 